Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Do you want to learn what it takes to create a writing career? Then tune in and take notes because on Simply Write, we talk about the writer's craft and the qualities and quirks of living a writer's life. Let's go. Hello and welcome to Simply Write with Polly. This is the podcast where we talk about the writer's craft and crafting a writer's life. And you know, from listening to me this last year and from all the years that I've been a working writer, that takes more than good writing to get the job done, to be a professional with a sustained writing career. It takes some business sense and know-how. It takes an understanding of the publishing world and really a collaboration with agents and publishers and editors and all the people who do what they do to help us get our writing out there. And that's what we're going to talk about today with Amy Collins. Welcome to the show, Amy. Hello. Thank you, Polly. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm I'm always anxious to learn more. And as an agent with Halcott Notch Literary Services, and, and you're also a Writer's Digest instructor, you've been a publishing professional for years. There's a lot we can learn about uh, how to get our books out there in a way that's going to reach the readers, which is what I think it's all about for writers, right? And you've, you've been, you've seen the publishing in from all sides then working with writers and working as a sales director uh, with a nonfiction publisher. How did you come, Amy, to this career in agenting after all that experience? Well, I have been on all sides of the desk. I started as a book buyer. I started in the bookstore world. Um, you know, I, I I ran a book department for a, a on one store of a chain of bookstores in upstate New York, and I actually quit uh, to go back to my music career. And they said, "Oh no, 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 don't do that." Have you seen what being a musician does to your bank account? <laughs> um, you know, stay with us, be a book buyer. Well, if I had any idea, working in publishing is not much better than being a musician when it comes to your bank account. But I have not regretted a minute of it. For many years, I was a book buyer. My job was to choose the books that went on the shelf. And um, eventually I became a sales rep where I would get to choose the books that I pushed to the book buyers. And so my entire career, whether it was a book buyer or a sales rep or a sales director for 15 years, I ran a book distribution company. It's always been about the relationship of the book the shelves and the reader. It had very little to do with what was inside the book. It always had to do with the reader and the marketplace and what I call, what many people call, 
market viability. Does this book have a snowball's chance in the downstairs place of selling? That has been a 30-year focus of mine, and that's, that's what I focus on today. And we're going to talk about that. But first, we start every show with the dailies. So, Amy Collins, what does a day in the life of Amy Collins' agent look like? Well, um, it starts with two 16-ounce Diet Cokes, truthfully. Um, <clears throat> half a cup of oatmeal, two 16-ounce Diet Cokes, and I spend an hour every morning reading a traditionally or a self-published book that is doing very well in the marketplace. I start my day with at least an hour reading a book that is that is all over the news or all that everyone's talking about because I constantly need to stay up on what's popular, what's selling well. I read books that have been published by Random House. I read books that have been published by Grand Union. I read pub, you know, books that have been published by Henry Holt. High literature, commercial literature, self-published that is that is literate, you know, upmarket. I, I don't care where it comes from. As long as it's well done and well received, I read that in the morning because that keeps my taste buds properly attuned to what good good writing looks like. Then um, I spend my mornings answering all the emails that came in the night before. I receive between three and 400 emails a day. And that's when I'm not open to queries. That's that's 100 people a day who, even though I'm not open to queries, are hoping I will I will take them on as clients anyway. And would I be interested in this deal or that deal? The newsletters, it takes me an hour or so a day just to, and I do read them, to read the newsletters, to find out what's happening with Simon & Schuster. What is Amazon doing? What's going on with Henry Ho? I mean, there's there's so much news. I pour over Publishers Marketplace every day. What deals were struck in the last week? Who are the agents? Who are the editors? Um, so it takes me several hours every day to get through my emails. I separate and sort. I take a, a little breather uh, for lunch. I walk my dogs. You know, I, I spend a little time with the pups. And then my afternoon is spent writing pitches, sending out pitches, um, writing, uh, creating proposals, putting together multi-page documents that try and convince editors that the books that I'm working on have market viability. Here's their TikTok following, or they don't have any following, but here's how talented they are. And here's the nine different workshops that they've been to in the last year and, and all the different professors and teachers that are, you know, award-winning writers who say that they're very talented. And so they, these editors really should read their manuscript. So I spend my afternoon pitching and, and, and responding to pitches. And, and when editors say, well, that's great, but I need another, I need another two chapters. Well, then I spend the rest of my afternoon texting my clients because they won't see the email. Hey, I need two more chapters. Or your vampire novel was terrific, but they say it's a little derivative. Would you be willing to, you know, uh, instead of a vampire, can it be an elephant? Um, you know, that's my job. And I am at it from 7.30 in the morning until about 7 at night, when at that point, my husband has made me dinner. And, um, and I, you know, go to the couch. And I start reading for pleasure again while he's making dinner. Uh, at the moment, I turn on a Netflix show I'm loving called Follow the House of Usher, spend a few hours hanging out with my husband, 
uh, collapse into bed and do the same thing the next day. And I do that at least six days a week. I always hear agents say, you know, I get hundreds of emails a week, but that's really true that getting three or 400 a day, you're saying, and some of that is business related, but some of that is writers like me saying, please, please, please. Right. Yeah. And not just writers saying, please, please, please. A lot of them are people I've met through Writer's Digest or agentshelpingauthors.com or uh, conferences I've been to. I go to tons of conferences. See, I, I, I have 40 clients. I can't take on a lot of new clients right now. So the only way I can really be of service to the industry is I go to conferences and I, and I do a lot of, of um, I do this thing called lunch with Amy because I travel around a lot. And when I'm in a town, I'll do, I'll, I'll take a bunch, I'll go on Twitter and say, Hey, I'm going to be at, at this, at this restaurant in San Francisco or Eugene, Oregon, meet me from 12 to two. I'll be there. I'll, I'll, you know, pick my brain and I don't, it's just my way of giving back. But by doing that, I end up meeting all these authors and they all just have one question. They just want to pick my brain with one question. But if 200 people are just picking my brain with one question in a week, that's 40 emails a day. Wait, is that math workout? I'm not sure. I don't I'm know. I'm an English that's major a with a music degree. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and those are the dailies. It seems so mysterious how to get to an agent, how to attract them. And, and then I sit down and I talk with you or the other agents I've met and like you guys are human and everything. It's not it's not so scary. But what do you think we're missing as writers that would help sell their book? If you accept their book, you know where it could go, what publisher might want it. You understand the pitching. So what are we missing as writers how to get an agent how to work with an agent how agenting works and the collaboration between us well there's a couple of things to keep in mind and the first is you're not having an agent or getting an agent is not a reflection on how you've done what you've done um it, it's a reflection on on the realities of the numbers and of the times uh, it is a direct reflection on the fact that um, I'm open to queries two and a half months out of the year. And during those two and a half months out of the year, I may have room on my roster for two, two new clients, but I receive 3,000 queries. And wow. during those 3,000 queries, maybe none of them are good enough for me to to give you one of my two spots. I it may and it may not be that your book wasn't well written. It does it may it may not be that it's not good for another agent. It may not be a great fit for me. Agenting author agent author relationships are a lot like online dating. You 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 have to see if you match up. And if you and the the 6 foot tall, you know, Adonis um don't hit it off the first couple times you email, that doesn't mean that you or he have anything wrong with them. It wasn't a good fit. The other thing I want you to remember is agents need authors. We don't get to make a living without you. Agents need authors. Um, you are the reason we're in business. We are, we are desperate. And I'm using that word on purpose. We are desperate to find the, our next favorite author. All of our clients are our favorite authors, but the next client is our next favorite. We are not hiding from you. We are not unhappy to hear from you, but we can't, we can't offer, we can't offer a, a spot in our roster 
to thousands of people every month. And that breaks our heart and it's exhausting. And it's a little, it's a little depressing, especially when anger comes back at us on Twitter mm -hmm. that we can't offer a spot. And the last thing I want to say is this, and, and some of, if you've heard me say this before, if, if, for those of you who have heard me on other interviews, I'm, I say this often, my cousin, Kevin was an amazing baseball player when he was in college, full scholarship full scholarship baseball player, went to the minor leagues. My dad, fantastic golfer, could have gone all the way on the senior PGA tour. I, classically trained opera singer, actually got all the way. I sang on the, on the stage of La Scala in Italy. My dad was an insurance investigator. I'm a literary agent. And my cousin Kevin is a lawyer. None of us got to follow the dream. And yet writers, please don't be mad at me, guys. Writers get frustrated when they can't get an agent and a book deal. And yet my father and cousin and I, we weren't pulling our hair out. I mean, I gave it my shot, tried to be an opera singer, went pretty far, didn't get to do it for a living. My dad's not, you know, he's not walking the links as a PGA senior. Uh, cousin Kevin isn't playing for the Yankees, but we did it. We tried it. Being a, a professional writer who makes a living as a writer and hits the New York Times bestseller list and 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 that dream is the exact same dream as your kid's sister wanting to open for Celine Dion in Vegas. <laughs> it is that exact same level of chances. And yet we don't think of it that way. We think of it as, well, I'm talented, so of course I'm going to make it. So much has to happen for your kid's sister to open for Celine Dion. And so much has to happen for you. But what separates Celine Dion's uh, opening act from all the people who, is perseverance. People who don't give up usually end up getting there. I have clients who will never give up and they now have book deals. And I have lots of authors in my life whom I love, but they're gonna be insurance adjusters because they decided after 130 queries, they were done. And, and perseverance is the key. Willingness and perseverance will separate a talented author from a successful author. Your book may have been wonderful and maybe it is gonna be the next bestseller, but it may have been a World War II spy novel. And I don't represent World War II spy novels because I don't particularly enjoy them. Not, I mean, I love, I love all authors, but I don't love all stories. So if I'm gonna represent an author who is writing an entire series of World War II spy novels, I'm not your girl has nothing to do with your talent. Yeah. Do your research and find out who represents the kind of stuff you're writing and know what you're writing, right? Genre, genre is important. Isn't that, isn't that true? We have to know what our book is. A lot of authors do. Um, conversely, lots of times people will, will reach out to me because they, knew, they know I do a lot of romanticy, which is a, a new phrase that's kind of, it's yeah, romance and fantasy. That. I have a, a a client who's trying now. She wants to put um thriller and romance together and she wants to make it like thrillancy. She's trying to like make that a thing or horancy, which is a very different <clears throat> phrase now that I've said it out loud. It looks different on the page. But um, so you know, finding authors, excuse me, finding agents who have successful authors in your particular subgenre is also a good idea. But if you have a super, super, if you have an agent with a super, super popular author in that genre, 
they may not be open to taking on another one because they don't, they already have, they already have their Sarah Moss. They don't need another one. And how do we know that then, Amy? We, uh, we send our pitch anyhow and wait for them to tell us, or do we know like, oh, they have Colleen Hoover or whoever it is now that uh, they're not going to have space for me? My advice is always to query. It doesn't cost you anything to query. And don't make the decision on behalf of the agent. Don't, don't, don't not query an agent. Always query because you have no idea what's about to happen. And if you make the decision for the agent, that's, that's silly. That's not what I meant. What I meant was don't be discouraged. Don't, I can't tell you not to be discouraged, but don't let it stop you. If an agent says, I'm very sorry, but this isn't going to work for me. It may be that she has too many plucky heroines fighting the Nazis. She has too many dragons in her, in her batch. And she just doesn't need another, another dragon riding Nazi fighter. Um, and so you're good. You're good. It's not about your talent. It may be that you're not a good fit, but always query. I teach a class on this, actually. Amy'sAdvice.com is right on the front pages where all my classes are. And I teach a submission class where over five weeks, I go over and over and over again, these messages on, on how to find an agent, how to, but the big message is, if you're not sure, query them. No agent ever looks at an inappropriate query and says, I'm going to tell the world about this author and she'll never work in this industry. It just doesn't happen that way. They hit delete and move on. Okay, but I hear all these rules. There are certain things you have to put in a query or a pitch or a synopsis where you have to have all three and a certain number of chapters or you have to fill out the submission form because that's what the website says or you need to send a direct email even if the website says something different. How do we know? How much credence do we give to those so-called rules? Or are there just differences of opinion among agents? Every agent, with few exceptions, so almost every agent, 95% of the agents out there put their submission guidelines on their website or in uh, on their, their uh, publisher's marketplace page. And going to their website or to their manuscript wish list or publisher's marketplace page, their submission guidelines, what they want, are listed clearly. Agents, we're not trying to make it hard for you. <laughs> Unfortunately, what's hard is some agents like me, I only take queries through Query Tracker. Why do I do that? Because I'm ADHD and, and diagnosed autistic. And if it all came in my inbox, you'd never hear from me again. I have to have a system. So Query Tracker totally saves my life. It allows me to get back to you in a timely manner. It allows me to actually not lose the thread of the conversation. I cannot handle my inbox. Other people don't use Query Tracker. They will say right on their website, please email me a query letter at agent at isn't this a pain in the neck.com. And they don't tell you what the query letter should say. Well, that's that's annoying. There's articles that you can read on Writer's Digest. There's um the short version is is you connect with the agent, you say, hey, this is why I'm querying you. Here's my story, uh, not my story as an author. Here's the story that I'm writing you about. Uh, my book uh, shares a lot of the same readers as this author or this book. Um, I'd love to send you the manuscript if this is a, of interest. Hugs and kisses, oopsie. Don't <laughs> sign it that way. Um, but, I'm going to sign it with that. Amy said to say this. Exactly. <laughs> so 
agents will always ask. So there are no rules every, but there are, there are things that you can do to make querying easier. Know, know at least three appropriate comp titles. Know who your readers are and know what the authors are that they're reading. Mm -hmm. If you're writing commercial fiction or if you're writing nonfiction, especially prescriptive nonfiction or self-help, and you don't know who the authors are that are writing in your genre and who have published that year, what are you doing? Why are you querying? You know, commercial fiction, nonfiction. There are authors who are publishing in your genre. Know who they are. That will make your life easier. Yeah, writers, this is the business. It's not enough to sit alone in the room and write beautiful prose. It's not that not how you create a career as a writer, right? Know what's out there. Know what's going on in the marketplace. Read the stuff. Know what you like. Know what's you know what readers are reading. What agents are wanting. It's worth doing your homework. We're going to take a quick break on Polly Campbell Simply Write. When we come back with agent Amy Collins, I want to talk about those comp titles. This is tough for me. And I know from talking to my colleagues that, that uh, there are a lot of questions around this. We're going to come right back with Amy Collins, agent from Talcott Notch Literary Services Agency, and get into comp titles and more on Simply Write with Polly, part of the Creators Network on Electric House. Welcome back to Simply Write with Polly. We are on the Creators Network of Electrocast, and today we are visiting with agent Amy Collins from the Talcott Notch Literary Services Agency. And we're getting into the business of it. Listen, you can sit alone in your room and write away and create beautiful stuff. And still, there are a lot of dynamics in the publishing world and working with agents and working with publishers and readers to get your book out there. So keep going, persevere, don't take it personally, but understand the business, know what's in the market, know what's working, what's not, know what readers are looking for and pay attention. And part of that, Amy, before we went to break, we were talking about pitching and, and the queries and so forth. And you mentioned comp title and I've always found comp titles, but it's, it's one of the hardest parts of my job. What can I do to make it easier? We've never met before and you just led beautifully into me being able to say, well, I teach a class on, and well, if anyone would like to go to amysadvice.com, they can sign up. But I am here's to. what I teach in my class. A comp title is a tool that allows, it's, it's shorthand. It's a tool that allows an agent to see the following very quickly. Does your book have potential readers? How do we know your book has potential readers? Because you have done the research to say, my book and this other book share this thing. It could either be the voice or the setting or the premise. Doesn't have to be all three, but it shares something important, a theme or a, a particular premise. And because it shares this theme or this premise, and it has so many readers, my it has already been proven that this theme or premise is very popular. So my book potentially has a great many readers. That's one thing a comp title does. Comp meaning comparable. It does not mean competitive. Comp is short for comparable titles. Other authors are not your competition. They are your community. Authors are not your competition. They are your community. So knowing who your other authors are that share your readership is so important when you're going after comparable titles. Another thing you can shorthand with agents is to quickly let them know what sort of book it is 
so that they can tell if it's a good fit for them. That if your voice has, if your book has the same voice or type of voice as the help, or as I know where the crawdads sing, you're going to have a very, um, a very, an author who quickly has, excuse me, an agent who quickly gets the shorthand of what type of voice and what type of reader would enjoy that book. So it's going to tell you if there's market viability. Again, that phrase, are, is there a readership for this book? And what type of book is it? And might it be a good fit for me? And so comp titles are the fastest and easiest way to show an agent that your book has potential as a fit for them and as a fit for the marketplace. How do you find a comp title? The short, the short answer is if you're a fiction, a commercial fiction or an upmarket fiction author, you go to the USA Today bestseller list, you go to stay off of Amazon. Don't, don't go to Amazon. I need you to go to Barnes and Noble and bookshop.org and USA Today. And I need you to find all the bestsellers and look for books that share your readership. I need you to read these books or at least the first few chapters. But find a couple books and find out what they share in common with your book. And then if you're not sure if these best-selling books or Google award-winning, you know, the editor's pick 2022 uh, memoir, if you're a memoirist, you can Google, you know, 2022 best-selling memoirs or 2022 award-winning memoirs. But if you're not sure if they've sold enough to prove market viability, here's a little trick. Then you go to Amazon and you know how Amazon has ratings, number of stars, 2000 ratings, 5000 ratings. Commercial fiction, if it's got more than 3000 ratings, then you can use it. Hmm. If it's memoir, if it's got more than 1000 ratings, that means it's sold well. Children's book, if you're like a picture book author, 200 is fine. Hmm. Not a lot of 6-year-olds read books about Grover and then go running to Amazon to review it. So your <laughs> children's picture books. So these are the these are the sorts of things we teach in my comp class. But comps are very important if you take the time to do it right, because it shorthands to the agent that you understand the marketplace and that your book is popular. So it's not a problem then to pick a bestseller that might be in our field. I, I've always thought, well, she thinks she's, you know, Anne Lamott or somebody because my style is is very conversational that way. So I've shied away from that. But you're saying that's not necessarily a problem if it's a recent bestseller. It's really weird that authors get frustrated that they can't become bestsellers, but then they're reticent, nervous, and somehow are worried about what people think when they compare themselves <laughs> to bestsellers. I, it, you guys are a weird group. I, I love you. <laughs> love you. But when I hear authors say, well, I don't want to appear too full of myself, too pushy, too salesy. I want to say, yeah, I, I don't want to be too brokey. Um, I would very much <laughs> like you. Now, where do you draw the line? And the mod is fine. Here's the rule I tell my students. If there's any conceivable way that my Aunt Martha, you know, 75-year-old, 80-year-old woman who doesn't read a lot, but you know, she's, 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 she's with it, with it. If she's heard of the book or the author, probably not a great comp. Like she's heard of Stephen King. I think the one thing that we, that I just, if I haven't hit it hard enough is this industry and writing books is really hard. It's harder than it's harder than being a professional singer. It's harder than being a professional painter, like artist painter. I don't mean painting cars. It's 
It's one of the hardest artistic endeavors you could do. And it takes longer to write a book than it does to write 10 songs. I mean, you could literally create an album in the amount of time it takes to write a book. And I want you to know that we get how heartbreaking it is when something that you spend two years or nine months, uh, you know, or five years creating doesn't get the attention that it deserves. We get that. But I beg you, keep writing. Write your next book. Keep writing. Write a book, put it out there, and immediately start writing your next one. Take a break if you need to. Breathe out. But keep writing. Keep writing. It's it's worth it. As long as you love writing, keep going. Amy Collins, that brings us to my very favorite segment, although I kind of have chills from that last keep writing bit. That was inspiring because, yes, we got to remember what we're doing here and and why it matters no matter how many books we sell. There's something in that process and that relationship bit, the way it comes together. So keep writing. That brings us to what's in the desk. Amy Collins, agent at Talcott Notch Literary Services. What do you have around you when you're reading, when you're working, when you're sending your emails? What do you need to have on your desk or in your desk to get the job done? All right, I'm pulling my drawer open and I have, oh, okay. Well, uh, not exactly what you were looking for, but I have a lighted 15 magnify mirror and some tweezerman tweezers to get my chin hairs because I'm on camera a lot and I'm postmenopausal, and it's very, very, very important that I get those stubborn chin hairs. Um, I, I will not, I will not do without my tweezerman tweezers and my my magnifying mirror. Those are in my desk twenty uh, always. Well, cannot cannot live or work without them. And that's what it takes to be a publishing professional, apparently. Right? <laughs> <laughs> tweezerman tweezers. All right, excellent. <laughs> Amy Collins, tell us one more time where we can find you, work with you, learn about your classes. Amy'sAdvice.com. And I would love to meet you all. Well, I'm coming. You can find me at simplywrite.substack.com. I will have links to Amy and her work and the agency. Join our Simply Write community at simplywrite.substack.com. Writers, it's time to get to work. Remember this week as you go about your business, the words of T.S. Eliot, it's not wise to violate the rules until you know how to observe them. Now sit down, writers, and simply write. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, The Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock band like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, The Interviews. Electric Acid. 
Electricast.